Welcome to Catholic Conversations. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And today we are going to be talking about Father Well, no, we're not talking about Father Spagaro. That's one thing that we're going to talk about. But we're going to be talking about the commandment to keep holy the Sabbath day. Now, the keeping holy the Sabbath day is something that is very often confused. People don't understand it. And the reason why it came up, and really, you know, as Catholics or as Christians in general, because 99% of Christians all celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday, celebrate the, not well, it's not the Sabbath, uh, celebrate church, I suppose. For us, for Catholics, it's Holy Mass. Uh, we keep Holy Sunday rather than Saturday. But I was talking to this friend of mine, uh, his name is Buddy, and we were talking about the Sabbath, and this was a big concern for him of why would Catholics celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday rather than Saturday. Now, it's going to get a little confusing because in the word Sabbath, we kind of use colloquially to just mean the holy day, which we refer to as Sunday, when in reality, Sabbath is Saturday. Now, that is just the case. So we're going to talk about this. I'm going to read to y'all a number of sources from Catholic sources so you understand what the Catholic Church teaches on the topic and why the Church teaches what it teaches. It's actually very clear and concise. I'm going to give a summary right now, so if you don't really care for all the details, I'm going to give you a quick summary, and that should be good for you if that's all you really wanted. Uh, So the reason why Catholics celebrate the Holy Day on Sunday rather than Saturday is because we celebrate the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is the day that our Lord Jesus Christ uh, was uh, resurrected from the dead. And that is uh, the biggest feast day. It is also associated with the Ascension and and Pentecost. And so this became a very high holy feast day. We also see the breaking of the bread done in Acts by the apostles happening on Sunday. So that's very, very important. We also see all the church fathers all celebrate on Sunday. And so through apostolic tradition, by the fact of our Lord making that day holy, we celebrate on Sunday. And now the biggest thing is the important point of the fact that our Lord uh, did not command us to celebrate on Saturday. This is not something that was commanded by our Lord in the New Testament. In fact, usually when he refers to the Sabbath, he says things like, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Things like that. So we're going to get into all the details about that in a second. But this is the big thing. The idea of the eighth day of creation. And we're going to talk extensively about this. The eighth day of creation is considered Sunday. Because God created on six days. On the seventh, he rested. And all the church fathers talk about how on the eighth day, he saved mankind. He was rose from the, he was risen from the dead, and we are currently living in the eighth day of creation. And this is why number eight has a lot of symbolism in it as well. So if that's sufficient for you, then that's sufficient for you, and you can move on with your day, and you don't have to watch any further. But if you would like to read more, I'm going to share with you several documents. I'm going to start off with uh, the Catechism of the Council of Trent ex, uh, explains 
very well, I think, about this doctrine. So I'm going to read to you from them, uh, from the Council of Trent. And then I'm going to read to you Father Spagaro's commentary on those passages, which will give you further identification. But my question for you as a Seventh-day Adventist is, what do you mean by celebrating the Sabbath? What do you mean by keeping holy the Sabbath? Do you keep to all the ceremonial laws associated with the Sabbath? Or do you just say that the Sabbath is holy and that's the day you go to church? If that's the only thing that you do on on the Sabbath, then we also do that because Catholics, we celebrate Mass every single day, Monday through Sunday or Sunday through Saturday. Every single day we celebrate the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. So that's something to keep in mind. Saturday is, in fact, a very holy day because we recognize Saturday to be a day devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary because it's the day that Our Lady kept watch knowing, because she had tremendous faith, knowing that our Lord would rise from the dead. And so in honor of her great faith, we dedicate that day to her. Fridays, we celebrate the crucifixion, so we recognize that day. It's always a day of abstinence, so we sacrifice. We don't eat meat on Fridays because on Fridays, our Lord tore his flesh. He gave up his flesh and died for our sins. And so every Friday, Catholics don't eat meat on Fridays. It's very simple. So all these things are things that we celebrate throughout the week. Every single day is a celebration. Every single day is dedicated to a certain thing. So what do you do on Saturdays? I'm curious. Like, Is it, is it to the extent that the, the Jews have? Because that's kind of respectable if you are saying like, oh, I can't even take so many steps. I can't even cook food. I can't buy or sell. I can't do any of these things. On Saturday, that's respectable. I, I kind of respect the, that someone to do that. But if your idea of celebrating the Sabbath is, oh, I just recognize that that is the holy day, and I may go to church, and that's about it, well, then perhaps perhaps you need to think about this more. Because it shouldn't be just that. It should be much more. And I'll read to you uh, Catholic theology on celebrating the Sabbath. In fact, I did a whole video on what counts as servile labor, what counts as work on a Sunday. So I'll be talking about that during this episode. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns throughout this video, uh, feel free to ask, and I will get to those as soon as I'm able to. But this is probably going to be a long episode where we're going to cover a lot of material. Uh, So let's jump right into it. Uh, Don't forget to like, subscribe, hit the bell notification, and share this with people you think would be interested. Always forget to promote things. Okay, so let's start with Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Now, the Catechism of the Council of Trent, which is a, some argue that is an infallible catechism, or an inerrant catechism rather than infallible. Um, they use the word inerrant because uh, only Holy Scripture and certain, certain things like that is infallible, but it's inerrant in the sense that there is nothing within it that contains any error. Uh, not the other way around, where because it's in it, it cannot err. 
which would be infallible. So that's the distinction. So anyway, going back to this, the here it says, with regard to the exposition of this commandment, the faithful are carefully to be taught. Because remember, the council of the Catechism of the Council of Trent was directed towards a priest in order to teach the laity. Carefully to be taught how it agrees with and how it differs from the others, in order that they may understand why we observe and keep holy not Saturday, but Sunday. The point of difference is evident. The other commandments of the Decalogue are precepts of the natural law, obligatory at all times and unalterable. Hence, after the abrogation of the law of Moses, all the commandments contained in the two tablets are observed by Christians. Not indeed because their observance is commanded by Moses, but because they are in conformity with nature, which dictates obedience to them. So this is the idea of the natural law. Now, I don't know if Seventh-day Adventists have a doctrine or an understanding of the natural law. I'd be very curious. If y'all do, let me know. Be curious about that. However, here's the thing. The commandments, it is well known and understood that all the commandments are written in the hearts of man. And so these commandments are written in the hearts of man, meaning every single person even before the coming of Christ, is obliged to keep the commandments, all 10 of them. Now, the the important thing about this is because you can come to know all the commandments by reason alone. With the exception of the Sabbath. Why is that? That is because the Sabbath, as in worshiping on Saturday, is in fact a ceremonial law. You can know this because the church, the the Jews before Moses, before the Ten Commandments, did not celebrate the Sabbath. None of the Jews before Moses celebrated the Sabbath. That's very important to keep in mind. That's very important to note. How do we know this? Well, we don't see any documentation of them ever celebrating the Sabbath. This is because our Lord instituted this at this moment as a ceremonial law. The natural law element of this is to keep one day holy, set aside to worship God, to abstain from work for one day. And that is part of the natural law. That is something that all people can come to know by reason alone. I'll continue. This commandment about the observance of Sabbath, on the other hand, considered as to the time appointed for its fulfillment is not fixed and unalterable, but susceptible of change and belongs not to the moral, but the ceremonial law. Neither is it a principle of the natural law. We are not instructed by nature to give external worship to God on, on that day rather than on any other. And in fact, the Sabbath was kept holy only from the time of the liberation of the people of Israel from the bondage of Pharaoh. The observance of the Sabbath was to be abrogated at the same time as the other Hebrew rites and ceremonies, that is, at the death of Christ, having been, as it were, images which foreshadowed the light in the truth. These ceremonies were to disappear at the coming of that light in truth, which is Jesus Christ. Hence, St. Paul, in his epistle to the Galatians, when reproving the observers of the Mosaic rites, says, You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest perhaps I have labored in vain amongst you. And he writes the same effect 
to the Colossians. So much regarding the difference between this and the other commandments. This commandment is like the others, not insofar as it is a precept of the ceremonial law, but only as it is a natural and moral precept. The worship of God and the practice of religion, which it comprises, have the natural law for their basis. Nature prompts us to give some time to the worship of God. This is demonstrated by the fact that we find among all nations public festivals consecrated to the solemnities of religion and divine worship. As nature requires some time to be given to necessary functions of the body, to sleep, repose, and the like, so she also requires that time, that some time be devoted to the mind, to refresh itself by the contemplation of God. Hence, since some time should be devoted to the worship of the deity and to the practice of religion, this commandment doubtless forms part of the moral law. Now, here's another point that just crossed my mind, and maybe it's worth doing a whole episode dedicated to this topic, is Seventh-day Adventists will then try to point to parts of the scripture, which maybe we'll get into, where it talks about how the the law is the law of God, how the, the Lord's Day is actually the Saturday because it says that the Sabbath belongs to God. Now, this idea can easily be expanded upon and applied to a lot of other things, like, for instance, circumcision, where circumcision is spoke of very highly. In fact, our Lord was, in fact, circumcised because people, the Seventh-day Adventists will also say, well, Jesus was a good Jew and he celebrated the Sabbath, and so therefore we should. Well, our Lord also was circumcised. Did our Lord need to be circumcised? The answer is no. You also will say, oh, okay, well, well, maybe the Seventh-day Adventists are circumcised. I don't know. I don't know if they, that's a th- practice among them. You know, the also, what about baptism? Our Lord was baptized, but not the sacrament of baptism. He was baptized by John before the sacrament was instituted. So is it necessary that our Lord be baptized? Was it necessary that we be baptized in the same way John was? That's a question to ask, right? What about the celebration of the Passover meal? The Passover meal was probably the most important feast in the entire liturgical year for the Jews, and our Lord would have done so, and he would have done animal sacrifice. You, well, they'll say, well, that's part of the ceremonial law. Well, this is the point that I'm making about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is, in fact, part of the ceremonial law, not keeping a day holy. That is not part of the ceremonial law. That is actually in part of the moral law, which is very important. Now, let's continue. The apostles, therefore, resolved to consecrate the first day of the week to the divine worship and called it the Lord's Day. Now, you have to note, many times here, I'm going to quote the church fathers. I'm going to talk about apostolic tradition. And Seventh-day Adventists may not like this, but you have to ask yourself, and this is worth doing a show on as well, where did you get the Bible from? Where did you find out which books in the Bible belong in the Holy Scripture? I was talking to my friend Buddy about this while we were fishing, and he was saying, well, you know, the Deuterocanonical, or what they call the Apocrypha, it doesn't seem to be God-breathed. It doesn't make any sense. There's contradictions in it. But the same, the atheists make the same argument about the Scriptures that you do recognize. Now, how can you say that about what we're calling Holy Scripture, but not recognize that to be true about what you call Holy Scripture? Now, I agree with you that there is no contradiction in Holy Scripture, and the books that you're referring to, I believe, 
the same thing you do about those books. I'm just making the point that you're making an atheistic argument about the deuterocanonical. It is not actually a way to observe what books belong in the Bible, because if you just decided to read through the Bible cover to cover, I'm sure you'd find many verses where you're confused at, where you look at it and say, I don't know how that exactly works. And would it be right for you then to say, well, that's obviously not God-breathed and to throw it out of Scripture? That doesn't make any sense. We had to get Scripture from somewhere. We had to get it from holy tradition. It is by the tradition of the church that we receive the holy Scriptures. And so that's how the Deuterocanonical belong in Scripture. Because then I was also bringing up references to the book of the Apocalypse, which I will do in a second here. And in the book of the Apocalypse... What do we see? Confusing imagery, right? Things that uh, there is much disagreement about. So how does that belong in Holy Scripture according to your view? It doesn't make any sense. And what's to exclude books like the Proto-Evangelium of James or maybe the Apocalypse of St. Peter? Why do those books not belong in Holy Scripture? In fact, many people believe that the Apocalypse of St. Peter was Holy Scripture in some places in the world. Why not that? It's a very interesting point that you should think about. What about the book of Enoch? Why is that not in Holy Scripture? Well, the Catholics have a good answer. And the answer is simply that the church has given us these books. And that's why they belong there. We believe in apostolic tradition. Now, what do you believe in? Now, that's a good question. I, I would be curious to your answer. So we'll continue with this uh, going back to the Sabbath. <clears throat> and if you want a whole show dedicated to this topic, let me know. The apostles therefore resolved to consecrate the first day of the week to the divine worship and called it the Lord's Day. St. John in the Apocalypse makes mention of the Lord's Day, and the apostle commands collections to be made on the first day of the week. Now, I saw, I was listening to Seventh-day Adventists talk about this, and they don't, they always use the King James Version of the Bible, except for this part, because the, the King James Version makes it clear that they're celebrating on Sunday. And this particular Seventh-day Adventist went and found a translation that fit his needs and said, on the evening of Saturday. Well, that's just, that's just not the right translation. It is on the first day of the week, which is, in fact, Sunday. That is the correct translation, which is there even in the King James Version of the Bible. It's very clear. Now, the first day of the week, this is why we know that the Lord's Day refers to Sunday and not Saturday. The Lord's Day is a day that our Lord rose from the dead. The apostles all attested to this. So to make reference to the fact that our our Lord in the Old Testament said that the Sabbath belongs to him, and therefore the Sabbath is, in fact, the Lord's Day, is to ignore the context of the New Testament, to ignore the context of what the apostles knew and understood. And we'll get into apostolic tradition in a little bit, the apostolic fathers. St. John, the Apocalypse, I just read that, is according to the interpretation of St. Chrysostom on the Lord's Day. From all this, we learn that even then, the Lord's Day was kept holy in the church. The word remember is appropriately made use at the beginning of the commandment to signify that the sanctification of that particular day belonged to the ceremonial law. Now, this is important to note because this is a clear example of, that our God is making. Because remember, you're not supposed to change one iota of Holy Scripture. So just having the word remember there makes it clear that this is part of the ceremonial law. Why is that the case? 
because it is a necessity to tell the people of God that this is a commandment that is not related to a moral law that's written on your hearts. Instead, this is a commandment that God is giving as a part of the ceremonial law. Because remember, God commanded the sacrifice of animals. And so if he said, remember the sacrifice of the animals, he's referring to the ceremonial law. The Catechism, the Council of Trent says, of this, it would seem to have been necessary to remind the people. For although the law of nature commands us to be to us to devote a certain portion of time to the external worship of God, it fixes no particular day for the performance of this duty. We now come to the meaning of the word Sabbath. Now, this is a very interesting. The word Sabbath. Why does our Lord use the word Sabbath in the Old Testament? Why does he use that word? Very clearly in the commandment itself. Well, this is why. Sabbath is a Hebrew word which signifies cessation, meaning to stop doing something. To keep the Sabbath, therefore, means to cease from labor and to rest. In this sense, the seventh day was called the Sabbath because God, having finished the creation of the world, rested on that day from all work which he had done. Thus it is called by the Lord in Exodus. That's very interesting, isn't it? Later on, not only the seventh day, but in honor of that day, the entire week was called by the same name. And in this meaning of the word, the Pharisee says in St. Luke, I fast twice in a Sabbath. So much will suffice with regard to the signification of the word Sabbath. But the church of God has thought it well to transfer the celebration and observance of the Sabbath to Sunday. Because remember, the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. Not your interpretation of Holy Scripture. The church is the pillar and foundation of truth. That's Holy Scripture. For as on that day light first shone on the world, so by the resurrection of our Redeemer on the same day, by whom was thrown open to us the gate to eternal life, we were called out of darkness into light. And hence the apostles would have it called the Lord's Day. This is very important because this is an entrance into the eternal life. That's why they call it the eighth day of creation. Now to conclude with the Catechism of the Council of Trent, he says here, we also learn from the sacred scriptures that the first day of the week was held sacred because on that day, the work of creation commenced. And on that day, the Holy Ghost was given to the apostles. This is very important. This is very interesting. So many things are associated with the first day of the week, the Pentecost, the resurrection, and the ascension. Now, I want to read to you what Father Spagaro, explaining this section of the catechism, what he had to say about this, because he goes into more depth on this topic. Uh, Brooks Durham says, one of the co-workers, one of my co-workers is a, is a Seventh-day Adventist, and I will ask her that question about what exactly do they do on Saturday. I'm curious, too. Yeah, I'd be very curious. Uh, it would be kind of sad if they uh, just they don't really do anything much about it. I was listening to a bunch of interviews with Seventh-day Adventists, and some were saying, well, we don't really have strict rules about it. Some people do something, some do others. I'd be curious what people do. Anyway, here's Father Spagaro. The third commandment of God. On Mount Sinai, Almighty God spoke and said, Remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Exodus 28.9. The third commandment thus contains two injunctions. The command to sanctify the Sunday and the command to, to work. 
In the third commandment of the Decalogue, God commands us to sanctify Sunday and to work six days in the week. The precept of sanctifying Sundays and holy days. In order that amid the many cares and anxieties of life, men may not forget God, his final end and high calling. God has enjoined upon him to keep one day in the week holy. As we have certain times set apart for the sanctification of our bodily necessities, sleeping, eating, and drinking, so we have appointed times for the meditation upon eternal truths, whereby we may obtain fresh strength for our souls. On holy days, we have the opportunity of expiating by prayer what we have done amiss, and by rendering to God the thanks due to him for the benefit, the benefits he has conferred on us during the week. God commands us to sanctify the seventh day because on the seventh day he rested from the work of creation. In his account of the creation, Moses says, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he had rested from all work. Man who is made after the image of God ought to follow the example of the Lord his God. As God ceased from work on the seventh day, so man ought to rest after six days of labor. Man needs this rest after working for six days, just as one is obliged to sleep for six or seven hours after the work of the day is done. In order to recruit one's bodily power, so one needs a longer period of rest after six days of labor. At the time of the French Revolution, the observance of the seventh day was done away with, and the tenth day appointed for the day of rest. But it was soon found indispensable to return to the old order of things. The number seven belongs to the natural order, God who set the lights in the firmament of heaven for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, intended to change, intended the changes of the moon, which occur every seven days, to point out to us the division of time into periods of seven days, of which one was to be a day of rest. Bishop Theophilus of Antioch, writing around the year 150 AD, mentions, because remember, 150 AD is only maybe 70 years after the death of John the Evangelist, maybe, depending on when you date that, mentions the observance of the seventh day as a universal custom. This is a universal custom, a custom that is practiced by the entirety of the church. We who are Christians, and remember 150 is before Emperor Constantine, which Many Seventh-day Adventists say is what happened is how we got the seventh day, uh, got Sunday as the Sabbath, as the celebration of the Sabbath. Many will say that was actually uh, Emperor Charlemagne, or not Charlemagne, Emperor Constantine. We who are Christians keep the Sunday, the Jews keep Saturday, and Mohammedans keep Friday. The Mongols keep Thursday, the black population of Guinea and Go keep Tuesday and Monday respectively. The cessation from labor every seventh day foreshadows our eternal rest in heaven. By solemnizing the day of the Lord, we renew and quicken our longing for the unending festival of joy above. The very fact that we wear our best apparel on that day serves to remind us of the celestial happiness that we hope will one day be our portion. Now, it's important to note, right? He points out here for Spagaro, Every single culture had a day of rest up until today. Every single culture. And it was almost not, it was rarely that it coincided to Saturday. That's because, like we talked about a minute ago, observing a day of rest is part of the natural law 
whereas the Sabbath is part of the ceremonial law. Second point, God commanded the Jews to keep holy the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was a joyous festival for the Jewish people because on that day they were delivered from Egyptian bondage. In addition to this, when God gave the law from Mount Sinai, he enjoyed upon them to sanctify the day by cessation from work. The seventh day is the Sabbath, thou shalt do no work on it, Exodus 20.10. The Sabbath was specially suited to be set apart from public worship of God because more than any other day, it recalled God's benefits to his people, Ezekiel 20.12. It was moreover typical of the rest in the, in the sepulcher of the future Messiah. The Jews were extremely strict in their observance of the Sabbath. Any profanation of the day was punished with death. No work of any kind might be done on it. A man found gathering a few sticks on the Sabbath day was stoned. Numbers 15.36 The Pharisees would not allow that it was, unlaw- that it was lawful to do a good deed on the Sabbath. Matthew 12.12 uh, 12. No manna fell in the desert that day. Do you follow this? Do you follow what was done here? I'm curious, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, do you follow this? What do you do? Or do you just recognize the Third Commandment and acknowledge it and move on with your day? I'm curious. Let's see. Sunday was appointed by the apostles as a day of rest instead of Sabbath because Christ rose from the dead on a Sunday. This cannot be emphasized hardly. Uh, it can't be emphasized enough. The resurrection is a big deal. It's a much, 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 much b- bigger deal than the idea that the Jews were set free from the captivity on Saturday. We were set free from captivity of sin and death on Sunday. That's a much bigger celebration. Sunday is a festival of the Holy Trinity. For on the first day of the week, God the Father began the work of creation. God the Son rose from the dead. And God the Holy Ghost descended upon the apostles. That's a very interesting point, right? That Sunday is holy and set apart and unique and glorified by every person of the Trinity that's applied to every person of the Trinity. The apostles were authorized to transfer the day of the rest from Saturday to Sunday because it was not so much the observance of the Sabbath as it was the observance of a fixed day in each week upon which God insisted in the commandment. They were all the more at liberty to change the day as the old law was but a shadow of the new. Sunday is called the Lord's Day because it ought to be devoted to his service because on it he rose from the dead. St. Justin in 139 AD is the first to make use of the word Sunday. It is a name befitting the day whereupon the Lord, like the rising sun, rose from the grave in the brilliance of his glorified humanity. On this day also, God made the light. The Holy Ghost came down in tongues of fire. And on this day, we receive spiritual enlightenment. The Emperor Constantine the Great enjoyed the observance of Sunday as a day of rest throughout the Roman Empire. And Charlemagne caused those who violated it to be fined. So we recognize that Constantine did make a law observing Sunday, but notice not institute Sunday, but observing it because it was already being done by Christians. And Emperor Charlemagne, he's another great person. I believe is probably a saint. That's my belief. That's another topic for another day. 
which we're actually going to be doing a show in the Crusades with my friend Andrew, who studied history and he has his expertise in college. So he's going to have him on. Uh, number four for Father Supagaro. You know, maybe I'll share my screen. I think I can do that. I'm pretty sure. Let me see if I can share my screen without it taking up too much trouble. If it takes too much trouble, then I won't deal with it. But if it doesn't, then I will make that change real quick. Here we go. Let's see. There we go. Easy peasy. Now you can follow along with me. We are bound on Sunday to abstain from servile work and to assist at the public mass. We ought moreover to employ this day in providing for the salvation of our soul. That is to say, by approaching the sacraments, by prayer, hearing sermons, reading spiritual books, and performing works of mercy. Servile work is that which entails severe physical exertion and exhausting to the body bodily strength. It is a work generally done by servants, menials, artisans, laborers, and a word, the work belonging to the class that serves, hence the name. Markets and all commercial transactions are included in the prohibition, yet in deference to local customs, the rule is relaxed in some countries. However, buying and selling must not be carried on during the hours of divine worship. As God rests on the seventh day, so we ought to rest. As Christ on Easter Sunday left the grave clothes in the sepulcher and rose triumphant, so we ought to lay aside our earthly business and on the pinions of prayer soar aloft to God. Physical repose is necessary because it is impossible for one who is greatly fatigued to pray well. Public worship is the holy sacrifice of the Mass, generally accompanied by a sermon. In the first centuries of Christianity, the Christians were accustomed to assemble on Sundays to hear Mass. Now note, many Seventh-day Adventists will say things like, Oh, well, it says they gathered to break bread on the Lord's Day. That they took up collections on the Lord's Day. That's not a reference to the Sabbath being on Sunday. That's not a reference to worship on Sunday. That's because they don't have an understanding of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, the Holy Eucharist, which that's another great topic, which I think I will do a show on transubstantiation. I don't know if I'll do one on the Eucharist against Protestants, but more defending the doctrine of transubstantiation. Uh, We'll see about that. We'll see about that. But here's the point I'm going to make here. What is referenced by St. Paul? He said, have you some, and that many have died because they have received the bread and wine, which is a partaking of the body and blood of our Lord unworthily, that people have died. Now, partaking of the bread and wine, what is that? Some might say that's the breaking of the bread. That is a ceremony referencing back to what? To the Last Supper. Now, the Last Supper is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. It was a consecration. Our Lord was present there physically, bodily, in his human flesh, holding the Holy Eucharist, which was himself. And people say that's absurd. But he's God, don't you agree? So why is that absurd to think that God cannot perform a miracle? Do you believe that God walked on water? Do you believe that Moses parted the Red Sea? Do you believe that our Lord rose from the dead? Do you believe that our Lord drove out demons? Do you believe he multiplied the loaves and fishes? Then why can't you believe that our Lord held himself in his hands? Why can't you believe that the holy sacrifice of the mass is in fact the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ? I would say, oh, ye of little faith. That's what I would say. 
So when we talk about the breaking of the bread, we're referencing the holy sacrifice, the mass. When we're talking about the collection of money, that happens at the holy sacrifice in the mass. Just thought. And if you look at the book of the apocalypse, when we talk about it there, it's even more explicit about the fact that it is the holy sacrifice of the mass, uh, which Dr. Scott Hahn in his book, Lamb's Supper, actually talks about very, very well and very in-depth. Let's continue. In a short explanation on undelivered after the gospel, as is usual in the present day, there is no act of Christian worship that can compare in dignity and value with the holy sacrifice of the mass. On Sunday, we ought to provide for the interest of our soul— Physical rest is ordained in order that we may labor more diligently for our spiritual welfare. And we must not content ourselves with putting on better clothes, but must cleanse and adorn our hearts. The cessation from the work of the week gives an opportunity to the faithful in compliance with the mind of the church to approach the sacraments. They are encouraged to receive Holy Communion on Sundays and Holy Days and to give themselves to prayer. For this reason, afternoon services are held and the church and the churches stand open for private devotions. Our forefathers used to read spiritual books, homilies in the gospel for the day, and the lives of the saints. Many of our Lord's miracles of healing were wrought on the Sabbath day. Witness the man whose hand was withered, Matthew 12, 10, the man born blind, John 9, the man who had the dropsy, Luke 14, 2. Although by doing so, he gave great offense to the Jews, he intended to teach us to do the good works on Sundays. The work permitted on holy days of obligation, servile work, which is absolutely necessary, especially works of mercy, light and trifling work, occupations of intellectual nature, and reasonable recreation. We are not forbidden to do the work that is absolutely necessary. Our Lord does not desire man to suffer on account of the Sunday rest, for he says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, Mark 2.27. All work may be done which is required for the support of life. We may have our food prepared and are allowed to gather in our crops if the weather threatens their destruction. All work that is indispensable for the public service may be carried, may be carried on. The postal service, the railroads, telegraph, police service. Ecclesiastical authorities have the power to grant special permission for servile work to be done on Sunday if there is sufficient reason. Christ says the Son of Man is a Lord of the Sabbath also. And the church, his representative, can say the same. And as the chief and primary object for which Sunday is instituted is to promote the spiritual welfare and eternal salvation of mankind. All works tending to this end are adjoined upon us. Our Lord says the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are without blame. Matthew 12.5 Works of mercy are also enjoined. Nothing is more profitable to salvation than these, for on them our eternal fate depends. Matthew 25.35 we have Christ's example and precept also for the performance of charitable works on Sunday. It is lawful to do a good deed on the Sabbath day, Luke 12, 12. Some of the saints used to visit hospitals after mass and spend the remainder of Sunday in serving the sick. Yet it must be remembered that only such servile work as is absolutely necessary is permitted, although its object be a charitable one. For if it is lawful to do all servile work without distinction, which was for the benefit of the poor, all artisans and laborers might go on with their work, and that would be by no means permissible. That's according to Suarez. Necessary works of mercy exempts from the obligation of attendance at public worship. They are in themselves an act of worship, Josiah 1.27. Our Lord says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, Matthew 9.13. But if it is in any way possible, public worship should not be omitted. 
These things you ought to have done and not leave those undone. What is it right to do in a, is it if a conflagration breaks out just before the time of mass or if there is an inundation? Occupation of an unimportant kind may be engaged in. God does not require to sit idle on Sundays besides writing, music, and all mental employment are lawful. Sunday is also instituted as a day of rest. On it, we may freely enjoy innocent diversions. Now here we talks about the way that the you can transgress the law. And I will avoid going over that because I covered that in the my thing on what does it mean to keep Holy Sabbath Day? What is that? What counts as serve our work? I did a whole show dedicated to that. So you can check that out for extensive information on that. So let's move on. Uh, there's many things that could be said here. I Let's see if there's anything interesting. I think I'll move on. Okay. Now let's talk about the Apostolic Fathers. What did they have to say about this topic? The Apostolic Fathers, let's start first with Acts of the Apostles. In Acts 20, verse 7, And on the first day of the week, when we were assembled to break bread, Paul discoursed with them, being to depart on the morrow, and he continued his speech until midnight. There we go. That's a reference to worship on Sunday. Very clear. And it sounds like the holy sacrifice of the mass, the breaking of the bread, a discourse. Sounds very much like the sacrifice of the mass that we see today. Very simplified, though. In the letter of Barnabas, chapter 15, verses 6 through 8, A.D. 74. A.D. 74. Our Lord died A.D. 33. The Bible wasn't finished until mm, around 95 A.D. This letter of Barnabas, which is believed that Barnabas was the one from Holy Scripture. In fact, it was debated on whether or not the letter of Barnabas should be Holy Scripture. This is very, very early in the church. So you have to say that the apostasy of the church happened before 100 AD, before the last of the Gospels, before the Gospel of John, or rather around the Gospel of John, before the book of the Apocalypse was written, the church was already in apostasy. How is that possible? He says, we keep the eighth day, Sunday, with joyfulness. The day also on which Jesus rose again from the dead. St. Justin Martyr in AD 155 in his first apology, number 67, says Sunday is a day on which we hold our common assembly because it is the first day on which Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. Eusebius, AD 319, he says Sunday was a day of Christ, of Christ's resurrection from the dead, which they say as being the one and only true holy day and the Lord's day. That's 319. That's still before Constantine allegedly started the Sunday Lord's day. And Eusebius of Caesarea's church history, he says in 312, they, the early saints of the Old Testament, did not care about circumcision of the body. Neither do we, Christians. They did not care about observing Sabbaths, nor do we. They did not avoid certain kinds of food, neither did they regard the other distinctions which Moses first delivered to their posterity and to be observed as symbols, nor do Christians of the present day do such things. This is an important note because he's recognizing from a very, very early time, 312 before Emperor Constantine, 
Here he says, he recognized the saints of the Old Testament, those who came before Moses, that were not circumcised. They did not celebrate the Sabbath. They did not keep the dietary laws. Because why? Because these were part of the ceremonial law, not the moral law. Very important. Another thing from Eusebius, he's in his proof of the gospel, which is written in 319. He says, the day of his light, that's Christ's light, was the day of his resurrection from the dead, which they say as being the one and the only true holy day and the Lord's day is better than any number of days as we ordinarily understand them and better than the days set apart by the Mosaic law for feast, new moons, and Sabbaths. Notice he said Sabbaths, which the Apostle Paul teaches are the shadow of days and not days in reality. Very, very important. All the feast days of the Old Testament are a prefigurement of the Lord's Day and of the Holy Days. On the Didache, which was written in 70 AD, another very, very early document published before any kind of, and before the Bible was put together, long before the Bible was put together. The Didache was, some say it is the first catechism ever written. It's more like a church document regarding church practices. So like, for instance, it lists in what manner, in what way are you supposed to baptize people, that kind of thing. Those things are included in the Didache. I highly recommend checking it out and reading it in its full, in its entirety. Very worth listening to. It's a witness of the apostolic tradition, the tradition that the apostles were doing, and what way did the apostles act and do things. If you want to know, the Didache is a great way to look at. It says here, On the Lord's day, gather yourself together and break bread. Give thanks, but first confess your sins that your sacrifice may be pure. Notice here, we have Sunday worship, the Lord's day, Second, the holy sacrifice of the mass and the breaking of bread. Third, a act of thanksgiving, which, you know, that's just something you do after mass. And that's something we do after mass today. And fourthly, confessing your sins before receiving holy communion. That's a very early teaching, going to confession before receiving communion. Otherwise, what would happen to you? You'll be guilty of profaning the body and blood of Christ, as St. Paul says. And some have even died. The Didache is attesting to that tradition. Here we see by St. Ignatius of Antioch, those who lived according to the old order of things have come to a new hope, no longer keeping the Sabbath, but the Lord's day in which our life is blessed by him and by his death. I'm going to emphasize this again because St. Ignatius of Antioch is so important for early church witness. So important. St. Ignatius of Antioch was a disciple of St. John the Evangelist himself. If you want to have someone, one person that you want to read to understand what the apostles taught and believed, if you want to see what the early church really believed and not these myths that Constantine invented the Catholic Church, if you want to see those things, Ignatius of Antioch, in 107 AD he wrote this, but Ignatius of Antioch was the disciple of St. John the Evangelist, the person who Christ loved the one who rested his head on the breast of Christ, the one who was at the foot of the cross, the one who our lady was told, behold your son. And and our Lord told St. John, behold your mother who had the blessed Virgin, the mother of Christ living in his home for the rest of her life. 
Imagine what Our Lady and St. John the Evangelist talked about. Imagine how well St. John the Evangelist knew our Lord because he had access to his mother who raised him. The hidden years of Christ, St. John the Evangelist knew them. St. Ignatius of Antioch was his disciple, his direct disciple. He received his ordinations from John the Evangelist. And according to early church tradition, St. Ignatius of Antioch was the child whom Christ took and presented to the apostles as the example of one who is greater in the kingdom of heaven. He sat on the lap of Christ. That's according to early tradition. He says, now am I going to trust you and your interpretation or am I going to trust Ignatius of Antioch? He says, those who lived according to the old order of things have come to a new hope, no longer keeping the Sabbath, but the Lord's day in which our life is blessed by him and by his death. Amazing. Ignatius of Antioch, pray for us. Here's another part. And the didis, I can't say words. And the didascalia apostoliorum, the 12 apostles at the time of the Council of Jerusalem, uh, scholars uh, would like to say that this is actually composed in the 3rd century, so around 230, but many people believe, pious tradition, is that it was actually written by the 12 apostles at the Council of Jerusalem. Now, whatever you believe, it's an early church document with, with great witness, if you believe it's 230, which I don't trust modern historians for any of their dating. Uh, they will say the, the Holy Bible wasn't even written until the 100s, so if you believe historians about that, maybe you would believe about this one too. But it's attested to, many people saw that it was actually apostolic in origin, written by the 12 apostles at the Council of Jerusalem. Here they say, The apostles further appointed that on the first day of the week, let there be service and the reading of Holy Scripture in the oblation. Because on the first day, the oblation is the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, the Eucharist specifically. Because on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, our Lord rose from the dead, from the place of the dead. And on the first day of the week, he rose upon the world. And on the first day of the week, he ascended up to heaven. And on the first day of the week, he will appear at last with the angels in heaven. Yeah, that's another thing. He's according to many, 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 many church fathers, according to the apostles, if you believe this. Our Lord will return on a Sunday as well. That's also interesting to note. Here's another passage from St. Victorinus on his work, The Creation of the World, written in AD 300, again before Emperor Constantine. On the sixth day, Friday, is called Parasave, that is to say, the preparation of the kingdom. On this day also, on account of the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ, we make either a station to God or a fast, which is what we do today. We abstain from meat in honor of God, in honor of our Lord. On the seventh day, he rested from all his works and blessed it and sanctified it. On the former day, we are accustomed to fast rigorously that on the Lord's day, we may go forth to our bread and giving thanks and let the parasive become a rigorous fast, lest we should be appear to observe any Sabbath with the Jews, which Sabbath he Christ and his body abolished. Very, very important. Very important, right? Notice what is a very important thing for these people. They do not want to appear to be Judaizers. That was the first heresy we see in Holy Scripture, to be Judaizers, to say we must be like the Jews. We must do what the Jews do. St. Victorinus in 300 AD 
says we should not appear to observe any Sabbath with the Jews, which Sabbath Christ in his body abolished. Very important. St. Athanasius, the great St. Athanasius who fought Arianism. So if you want to go and side with Arians against Athanasius, feel free to do so. On his work on Sabbath and circumcision, he says, The Sabbath was the end of the first creation. The Lord's Day was the beginning of the second, in which he renewed and restored the old in the same way as he prescribed that they should formally observe the Sabbath as a memorial of the end of the first things. So we honor the Lord's Day as being the memorial of the new creation. In the catechetical lectures of St. Cyril of Jerusalem in 350, so now we're about the time of Emperor Constantine. Now you're saying, okay, well, now this is the time of Emperor Constantine. Well, keep in mind, this is in continuity with everything that's come before it. He says, fall not away either into the sect of the Samaritans or into the Judaism. For Jesus Christ has henceforth ransomed you. Stand aloof from all observance of Sabbath and from calling any indifferent meats common or unclean because the people who were celebrating the Sabbath were Judaizers. Let's see. The Canon 29, 8360 in the Council of Laodicea says, Christians should not Judaize and should not be idle on the Sabbath, but should work on that day. They should, however, particularly reverence the Lord's Day and, if possible, not work on it because they were Christians. If you're a Christian, you celebrate Sunday. And a side note, you know, I don't know why Protestants would not celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday. I guess because they recognize the, the part of scriptures where it references the Lord's Day, Acts. Uh, I bet that's why, but more often, I bet more than anything, I bet it's because they really just follow the tradition of the church that came before them and they're following tradition. They just don't want to admit it because everyone follows a tradition like the Seventh-day Adventists. They're following tradition. They're following the tradition of the Millerites and they're following the tradition of Ellen White. They're following tradition of their, their, whoever's in charge of it today. I don't know how the magisterium works today. It's kind of confusing. Anyway, on the homily of the statutes, 12.9, St. John Chrysostom in 387 says, When he, God, said you shall not kill, he did not add because murder is a wicked thing. Now, this is important. What St. John Chrysostom is about to do is explain what we talked about with the Council of Trent. So notice, this is very early on. This is very early. The reason was the conscience had taught this beforehand. And he speaks thus. As to those who know and understand the point, wherefore, when he speaks to us of another commandment, not known to us by the dictate of conscience, he not only prohibits, but adds the reason. When, for instance, he gave commandment concerning the Sabbath, on the seventh day you shall do no work. He subjoined also the reason for the cessation. What was this? Because on the seventh day, God rested from all his works which he had begun to make, Exodus 20, 10 to 11. For what purpose then, I ask, did he add a reason respecting the Sabbath, but did not do such a thing in regards to murder? Because this commandment was not one of the leading ones. It was not one of those which were accurately defined of our conscience, but a kind of partial and temporary one. And for this reason, it was abolished afterward. 
but those which are necessary and uphold our life are the following. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. On this account, he adds no reason in this cause, nor enters into any instruction on the matter, but is, con- but is content with the bare prohibition. Very important. Because resting, like I said before, is part of the moral law. Sabbath on Saturday is ceremonial. The homilies of the Galatians 2.17 by John Chrysostom, he continues, You have put on Christ. You have become a member of the Lord and been enrolled in the heavenly city, and you still grovel in the law of Moses? How is it possible for you to obtain the kingdom? Listen to Paul's words, that the observance of the law overthrows the gospel and learn if you will, how this comes to pass, and tremble and shun this pitfall. Why do you keep the Sabbath and fast with the Jews? Very important. John Chrysostom, another one of his homilies on the Philippians. The right of circumcision was venerable in the Jews' account, for as much as the law itself gave way thereunto, and the Sabbath was less esteemed than circumcision. For that circumcision might be performed, the Sabbath was broken. But that the Sabbath might be kept, circumcision was never broken. And mark, I pray, the dispensation of God. This is found to be even more solemn than the Sabbath, as not being omitted at certain times. When then is it done away? Much more is the Sabbath. Just like I said before, the connection with circumcision. Very interesting connection there. Uh, don't you think? If you're enjoying this episode, uh, give it a like, comment down below, uh, share it with a, with a friend, all these things. Let's see. In the Apostolic Constitution, written 400, it says, And on the day of the Lord's resurrection, which is the Lord's day, meet more diligently, sending praise to God that made the universe by Jesus and sent him to us and condescended to let him suffer and raise him from the dead. Otherwise, what apology will he make to God who does not assemble on that day and which is performed the reading of the prophets, the preaching of the gospel, the oblation of the sacrifice, the gift of the holy food. Very important. We see 400 AD, a description of the Holy Mass. What apology will you make for not recognizing the Lord today? I wonder. The other thing that's interesting to us is uh, to meet more diligently to imply that we should already be meeting anyway on other days. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, Catholics celebrate Mass every single day. Now, I don't attend Mass every single day because I have work and I'm also a slacker. But it was implied that people were, and the priests certainly were, and the monks 100% were worshiping every single day of the week. And they were fasting many days of the week, and they kept the divine office every day of the week. It's very important. St. Augustine, I don't know what Seventh-day Adventists speak about St. Augustine, but Protestants like St. Augustine. I don't know what, what the uh, Seventh-day Adventists will say. But he says, well, now I should like to be told what there is in these Ten Commandments except the observance of the Sabbath, which ought not to be kept by a Christian. Very interesting. He points out he does not say we shouldn't rest. What he says is, except for the observance of the Sabbath. Except that. Very important. Basically, to be in a seven-day Adventist, you have to say, 
my interpretation of Holy Scripture is correct, in the entirety of the entire church from the very, very beginning, from 70 AD, went into apostasy, and we could not figure it out until the Adventist tradition popped up about 200 years ago or so, 150 years ago or so. That's rather arrogant, if I would say. You have to disregard the entirety of the entirety of church fathers, apostolic fathers, even the New Testament, many parts of the New Testament. You have to favor the Old Testament in favor of the letters of St. Paul. It's in order to get to your interpretation. Now, Pope Gregory I, he says in 597, letter 13, he says, It has come to my ears that certain men of perverse spirits have sown among you some things that are wrong and opposed to the holy faith, so as to forbid any work being done on the Sabbath day. What else can I call these men but preachers of Antichrist, who when he comes will cause the Sabbath day as well as the Lord's day to be kept free from all work? For because he, the Antichrist, pretends to die and rise again, he wishes the Lord's day to be held in reverence and because he compels the people to Judaize that he might bring back the outward right of the law and subject the, the per, perfidity of the Jews to himself, he wishes the Sabbath to be observed for this, which is said by the prophets, you shall bring in no burden through your gates on the Sabbath day. Could he be held to as long as it was lawful for the law to be observed according to the letter? But after that the grave of Almighty, the grace of Almighty God, our Lord Jesus Christ, has appeared, the commandments of the law, which were spoken figuratively, cannot be kept according to the letter. For if anyone says this about the Sabbath is to be kept, he must needs say that carnal sacrifices are to be offered. He must say, too, that the commandment about the circumcision of the body is still to be retained. But let him hear the Apostle Paul saying in opposition to him, If you be circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Very important. Gregory the First is making the point here that if you're going to keep the Sabbath, now again, 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 we're not talking about keeping a day of rest because we observe that rest must be taken and we are also observing that worship to God must be set apart. There must be a day set apart for the worship of God. What we're saying is that the ceremonial aspect of it, the Sabbath, keeping it on Saturday, is equivalent to circumcision, is equivalent to keeping the old sacrifices. If you are doing that, you need to be consistent and do all of it. And if you're doing all of it, you fall into the condemnation of St. Paul. If you be circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Very important. Very, very important. And also you note that the Antichrist is going to try to keep the Sabbath. Because he wants to win over the Jews and the Christians. So he's going to keep both. He's going to observe the Sabbath. He's going to observe Sunday. Very important to note. So why do we worship on Sunday? What is the importance of it? What's the theology behind it? If you want to know, St. Alphonse Liguori tells us, he says in the old law, the festival day was Saturday. But the apostles, notice he says, the apostles, change it to Sunday, not the church later on, the apostles, a day sanctified by God over and over again, as St. Leo has remarked. For it was on Sunday that the world was created, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that the Holy Ghost descended of the apostles. The precepts of the sanctifying the Sunday, according to St. Thomas, and the, gener the generality of theologians, is moral. 
so far as it is the duty of all men to employ some part of their life in worship of God, but ceremonial so far as it determines the exact time of this worship. So far as it is moral, all men are bound to observe it. As a ceremonial precept, it is no longer obligatory because the old law has ceased. Hence, we are bound to observe a festivals by a precept of the church, which has determined the days that are to be kept holy. Now, the topic of precepts is a separate topic. I want to comment on one more thing, and then I will. I might read some more quotes to you and talk about those, but I, I might conclude after this. I want to read to you what St. Thomas had to say. Uh, this live stream has been going on for a little while. If you have any comments, make sure you comment them down below now. I'll get to them after St. Thomas, and uh, we'll get into that after that. This is already getting pretty long. It's already over an hour. Uh, there's much more that could be said. There's many objections Seventh-day Adventists would make. And maybe I should do a follow-up and uh, soon respond to those objections. Uh, but I think that's this, uh, this episode would be sufficient. I'd be curious. I think really, at the end of the day, if a Seventh-day Adventist watched this and does not agree with me, the question that must be raised is not a question of the Sabbath, but instead is a question of authority. And I'm happy to do a show on authority, on what is tradition, and what is the Bible, and why do we believe in the Bible. I would be happy to do a show on that. Uh, would I would be even happy to invite my friend Buddy on to talk about it. So let me know what you think about that. We have a lot of shows in the works, though, so a lot going on. I also want to, I'm also going to do a show on the soul because Seventh-day Adventists also have an issue with the topic of the soul. So that may be part three. Part three might be the topic of the soul. But let's jump into St. Thomas. St. Thomas said, God, therefore, wished that one day should be set aside in memory of the fact that he created all things in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested from the creation of new creatures. This is why the Lord placed the commandment in the law saying, remember that you keep holy the Sabbath day. The Jews kept holy the Sabbath in memory of the first creation. But Christ at his coming brought about a new creation. For by the first creation, an earthly man was created. And by the second, a heavenly man was formed. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision is worth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Galatians 6.15 This new creation is through grace, which came by the resurrection. That as Christ is risen from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also may walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, so shall we also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Romans 6, 4, 5. And thus, this is the reason, he says, because the resurrection took place on Sunday, we celebrate that day, even as the Jews observe the Sabbath on account of the first creation. The second reason for this commandment is to instruct in our faith in the Redeemer. For the flesh of Christ was not corrupted in the sepulcher. For thus it is said, moreover, my flesh is also rest in hope. Psalm 15, 9. Nor will you let your Holy One see corruption. Psalm 15, 10. Wherefore, God wished that this Sabbath should be observed and that just as a sacrifice of the old law signified the death of Christ, so should the quiet of the Sabbath signify the rest of his body in the Holy Sepulcher. But we do now do not now observe these. We, not, we do not now observe these sacrifices because with the advent of the reality 
and the truth, figures of it, must cease. Just as the darkness is dispelled with the rising of the sun, nevertheless, we keep the Saturdays in veneration of the Blessed Virgin, in whom remained a firm faith on that Saturday, which Christ was dead. Now, most of this you've heard already from the rest of the quotes, but the thing that is different here, that St. Thomas emphasizes the others did not emphasize, is the point that on Saturday, the Sabbath day, was a prefigurement of the death of Christ, a prefigurement of the flesh of Christ resting in hope, of the Holy One not seeing corruption, of that quiet of the sepulcher where our Lord's body laid. The Sabbath was a prefigurement of that day. For on the Sabbath, our Lord laid in the tomb. That's where he was on the Sabbath day. And it was on the Lord's day that he rose from the dead in his glory like the rising sun dispelling the darkness around him. For he is the light of the world. He is a light in which the darkness could not comprehend. As we see in John 1, right? But remember, I mentioned this at the top of the show, we venerate the Blessed Virgin on that Saturday, who remained firm in the faith and kept watch, kept vigil, was in waiting for the Lord to rise on Sunday. Very, very important. Now, that'll conclude the show pretty much. I'm thinking about doing some of the other comments here that I thought were interesting. I don't know. Should I? Mm, I'll read I'll read some of these. Uh, the, some of these are similar quotes, but expanded upon. Uh, the letter to the Mangensians, St. Ignatius of Antioch, which I talked about extensively, he says... If then those who are brought up in the ancient order of things have come to the possession of a new hope, no longer observing the Sabbath, but living in the observance of the Lord's day, on which also our life has sprung up again by him and by his death, whom some deny, through which mystery we have obtained faith, and therefore endure that we may be found the disciples of Jesus Christ, our only master. So the same quote as we've talked about before, just expanded upon. Uh, let's see, is there any quotes here that are find of interesting? St. Clement of Rome, that might be interesting. He says, which he lived between 30 and 100 AD. So he is another apostolic father, someone who was there from the beginning. Very, 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 very early. He says, let us consider, beloved, how the Lord continually proves to us that there shall be a future resurrection of which he has rendered the Lord Jesus Christ the first fruits by raising him from the dead. Let us contemplate, beloved, the resurrection which is at all times taking place. Day and night declare to us a resurrection. The night sinks to rest and the days arises. The day again departs. The night comes on. Let us behold the fruits of the earth, how the sowing of grain takes place. The sower goes forth, sows the seed, and then waits for the harvest. And when he has received it, he sows again. In like manner, God, having created man and breathed into him a living soul and having placed him in a paradise, has promised him, Another resurrection. Now, the interesting point here, I think, is the point of the idea of the eighth day of creation here. Is the idea that we, that the resurrection is constantly taking place. That the Lord Jesus Christ is the first fruits raising, being raised from the dead. It's very interesting that he brings that up. Let's see, St. Irenaeus of Lyons, circa 130, uh, maybe 200 at the latest, 
is Book Against Heresies. But Sunday is the day in which all we all hold our common assembly because it is the first day in which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day, rose from the dead. Uh, we already quoted the Didache, but this is a different quote. But every Lord's Day, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanks, having in addition confess your transgressions that your sacrifice may be pure. Actually, I think it's the same, just a different translation. Uh, Apocalypse of St. Peter. I mentioned this earlier. The Apocalypse of St. Peter was believed to be Holy Scripture by many people in the early church. And it has a venerable place, even though it is not infallible. It is a witness to the early church and what the early church people believed. And I saw another crowd, a great crowd, which no man was able to number. To, of every nation and of every tribe, and of every people and tongue, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with the white robes and the palms in their hands, and answering with one voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sitteth upon the throne, and to the Lamb. I don't remember why I put this in here, to be honest. I'm like, why did I, why did I put this in here? That's not really a reference to um, the Lord's Day. But... There you go, folks. Witness to, it's a reference, it seems more like a reference to the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Let's see. Uh, is there anything else interesting here? Shepherd of Hermes. That's also a good, good book. Maybe I'll read that for Lent, to be honest. Let's see. Is there anything else interesting? Polycarp, Martyrdom of Polycarp. Talks about the remission of sins. Giving thanks to God. Talks about the Sacrifice of the Mass, taking bread, giving thanks, blessing the Lord. Uh, martyrdom, a perpetual infelicity, went to them in combat. Uh, furthermore, the New Testament, let's see. Mm. Nah, that's it. I think that's it. I think that covers everything. That was uh, a lot of material to cover. A lot of to repeat. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, soapbox and negativities, positivities, or anything in between, let me know. Otherwise, we'll close out with an Ave Maria as usual. I'm really tired. Um, yeah, there's a lot more that can be covered. Brent Petrie has a lot of things on the eighth day of creation. I highly recommend checking out those videos if you're interested. He also talked about the Sabbath a little bit. There's not really a lot of good content on the Sabbath, but I realized hopefully this is uh, will be worthy of listening to, worthy of sparking discussion. Maybe people smarter than I will do a more in-depth uh, study on this topic or show. Hopefully a spark conversation. But let me know what you think. Was this convincing? Was it not? Were there particular points you want me to expand upon? Were the things that you're like, ah, well, and you want me to do to address further? But I think the biggest thing, to be honest, the biggest thing here is apostolic tradition. Is what do you believe is the authority? Do you believe what our Lord said? That Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Or do you believe the gates of hell did in fact prevail against the church? And it wasn't until the Seventh-day Adventists came around that the church was then saved. Is that what you believe? Uh, do you believe in the Holy Scripture when it says that the church is a pillar and foundation of truth? Do you believe that? If you do, well, we have Holy Scripture because of the church. Nowhere in the Bible do you see the doctrine of Sola Scriptura. Nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible do you find anywhere that says what books belong in the Bible. It's a divine book, but no divine 
table of contents. You have to trust tradition for that. You have to trust the church. Your own intellect, it would be arrogant to say your own judgment can discern that. So anyway, we'll close out with an Ave Maria if there's no questions. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Santa Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et mortis nostre. Amen. All you apostolic fathers, pray for us. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us. St. Paul, pray for us. The Blessed Virgin, Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Thank you for joining us. Like, subscribe, hit the bell notification, all that jazz. Comment down below, and we'll see you next time.